0: Culiacan, Mexico, is a city with a secret. But journalist Leon Krause says it's a bit of an open secret.
1: There are no clear signs that uh, there's a criminal organization walking around. You You wouldn't feel threatened if you went to Culiacan. Listen, they're hiding in plain sight.
0: They is the Sinaloa Cartel, a drug trafficking organization that, until recently, was led by Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, Walking around Culiacan, you might notice t-shirts and baseball caps all stamped with 701. That was Guzman's number on a Forbes billionaires list a few years back.
1: But uh, it's not like the people who are wearing those, those hats are all narcos. I think one of the misconceptions is that the culture of the narcos is just exclusive to them. That's that's not the case, especially in northern Mexico. Uh, the narco-cultura is part of the cultura in general.
0: Hmm. When you say that it's part of the just general culture, what do you mean? How does that happen?
1: It happens uh, with time. It happens with time.
0: Last week, it became clear just how much the narco-culture has come to define Kulia Khan when these videos started to surface on Twitter. In this one, the camera points at a well-kept strip of lawn with a busy road beyond. But people are running, yelling, taking cover. And all the cars are trying to move in reverse. Then the gunfire begins.
1: That was horrendous and terrifying, but it was also very, very sad. There's a video of a father protecting his children uh, who are lying on the side of the road, very close to their car, and you can hear gunshots, uh, several gunshots far away, And, uh, and, and the kids are asking the father what's going on, whether or not... Those were gunshots. No Aquí, suelo. Aquí en el suelo. And that, quite frankly, and I actually said this on, on the newscast that evening, that made me cry. Um, because no child should go through that. This was Quite literally, a war zone in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, in the capital city of a state in Mexico. And people were justifiably
0: terrified. Today on the show, we're going to tell the story of what happened last week in Culiacan and what it says about how the Mexican government and the US, too, are implicated in cartel violence. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Violence broke out in the streets of Culiacan last Thursday. Mexican authorities were zeroing in on a narco trafficker named Ovidio Guzman Lopez, who's facing extradition to the U.S., accused of helping to run the Sinaloa cartel. His father, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, is serving a life sentence in a Colorado Supermax facility. Part of what's interesting to me is that it's a little bit unclear exactly how this battle started, because the early descriptions were that Mexican forces sort of stumbled upon Ovidio Guzman-Lopez And then a little bit later, it became more clear that they had been trying to hunt him down, perhaps Mm -hmm. to help the American authorities. And then they reached some stumbling blocks and they had to stop. And that's how things spun out of control.
1: Well, this is part of the mess. The initial version that we got from the government, hours and hours after this had happened, was that a group on patrol simply stumbled on uh, a residence in this part of Culiacán and that some people began firing at the group of National Guard soldiers uh, who then entered the residence and then just out of luck found Ovidio Guzmán there. This was the version that we heard from the government, but then there was another version of events it turned out that there was an operation that was planned, clumsily, to say the least, to apprehend uh, Guzmán. And this operation, which was very complex, was to be carried out in broad daylight in the capital city of Sinaloa. And it went, uh, it, didn't, it didn't go as planned. <laughs> Let me just put it mildly.
0: Yeah. I mean, after capturing him, the Mexican authorities released this photo over video. Yep. Can you describe it? You, you talked about the way he looks at the camera.
1: Well, this is a 29-year-old uh, man with a handsome face. Someone took this picture of him when they detained him or at least held him. And he's looking at the camera with a certain arrogance. I think that he probably knew who was coming for him. And what was going to happen next? There's another picture of him using a uh, using his phone, calling some someone, which is, which is fascinating to me.
0: While he was detained?
1: Yes, 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 yes. So there's, there's a, there's a certain arrogance, that uh, I guess can be explained by what happened next. I mean, we still don't have the definitive version of events, but it turned out to be really a perfect storm of ineptitude and and concluded in the Mexican government's capitulation to terrorist blackmail because, I mean, what happened was the cartel unleashed hell. The cartel began burning vehicles to prevent the removal of uh, Ovidio from the city. But again, we don't have the definitive version of events. What we do know is that at some point, they faced, and by they I mean the the government of Mexico, they faced the terrible dilemma of uh, letting him go to prevent casualties or trying to uh, extricate him from Culiacán, and they made the unprecedented decision with the go-ahead from the president himself, the president of Mexico, to let him go. They surrendered and let this man go free to the delight of the cartel and their fans, because they do have fans, the cartel, I mean. Uh, And we immediately saw, for example, some narco corridos written of the heroic epic escape of Ovidio Guzman uh, from the clutches of uh, the Mexican armed forces.
0: Hold it. There have already been songs written? Oh, yes, absolutely. Cartel violence isn't only happening in Culiacán. A week ago, gunmen from the Jalisco cartel ambushed state police and killed more than a dozen of them. A day later, a shootout in the state of Guerrero killed a soldier and multiple civilians. But Leon loves his home country. Before I could even ask, he told me he doesn't want to think about Mexico as a failed state.
1: If you went to many parts of Mexico right now, you would be very, very safe uh, and you would enjoy the country very, very much. I always try to um, be very clear about that as a journalist, but also as a Mexican when I get the privilege of, a, of an interview like this one, but also when I talk to my friends in Los Angeles. I mean, they, they have asked me, so how much, will, how much should an armored vehicle be if I want to go to Mexico City? And I tell them, you don't need an armored vehicle in Mexico City or in Mérida, Yucatán, or in Baja California, or in many places. I think violence in Mexico is still contained in a few very, dangerous spots, which doesn't mean the situation is not very difficult. And what happened in Culiacán is not very concerning.
0: I mean, I I read that murders in Mexico are on pace for a record high this year. Like they compared to, I think it said 37,000 this year. Yeah. And just to compare that to the U.S., it's more like 15,000 here, which it just seems alarming.
1: Yes, I agree. I just think it's important to place... That number in context, and Mexico is an immense country that has many things that are very, very positive. But what can I say? Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I should say that in a place like Culiacán, you've alluded to this a little bit, but in some ways the cartels may be more effective than the government. You know, I was reading one report that, like, for instance, if your car was stolen, you'd probably have more success getting it back if you went to the cartel than the local police department.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I, I laugh, but but it's certainly not a laughing matter. I mean, in some regions of Mexico, there really is a parallel state. And that's just inadmissible. That's just not possible. Imagine what would happen in, in America if all of us all in uh, a, a criminal organization took control of taxation, law enforcement, and other aspects of the rule of law that belong to the state.
0: I think that's an interesting distinction you just made between a failed state and parallel states, where, of course, they're in conflict because one of those states is not official.
1: That's absolutely Right. And I think another another misunderstanding is, the, is is this idea that after Culiacan Mexican forces are outmatched, right, by the narcos. Listen, that's just not true. Mexico's military is bigger than the cartels. It is better equipped. It is better trained. The problem lies elsewhere. I, I think it's a leadership issue.
0: Huh. It's interesting. You say that the Mexican forces aren't outmatched, but they certainly seemed outmatched here. And I I was struck by one woman who said, you know, we always knew that the criminals had better guns than the local folks here. But this was a manifestation. This attack was a manifestation of the superiority Mm -hmm. of the cartels to Mm -hmm. the government. And she ended by saying the government can't protect us, which seems horribly sad.
1: It's sad. And it proves just how successful the campaign of terrorism has been, because she's wrong. Mexican armed forces are better equipped, better trained than the cartels. But the perception, of course, when you see that sort of brazen siege of a city, the perception is these this, this, this people are more powerful than the state. The state is weak. The criminals are strong.
0: But hearing you describe these cartel forces, I can't help but wonder why wouldn't the Mexican forces, the state forces, go in prepared for a real battle here?
1: Well, that's a great question. Uh, (laughs) The answer probably is uh, A, there was just lack of planning, just sheer ineptitude. But then again, Part of that equation uh, also comes from López Obrador himself and and his idea of how to fix this crisis of violence in Mexico. His strategy is not the use of force, but something quite different and very controversial.
0: Andrés Manuel López Obrador is Mexico's president. He was elected last year after serving as a leader of the country's opposition party, promised to end corruption But as violence played out in the streets of Culiacán last week, León says López Obrador was shockingly silent.
1: I mean, uh, let me tell you what López Obrador's day looked like on Thursday. I mean, even though he likely knew the operation was underway, no one has really confirmed that he knew the operation was going to happen.
0: How would the president not know?
1: Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, it's it's unbelievable, right? But I, I choose to believe that he knew. So... Let's say he knew. He still decided to head to the airport to catch a commercial flight to Oaxaca for a few meetings. He met reporters at the airport in Mexico City. He said he had no comment. Then he was cut off from official communications for an hour since he flies commercial. When he landed, he once again met reporters, no comments, he said once again. By then Culiacán was this war zone that we've been describing, still he said nothing. The next morning in his daily press conference, He said he would not talk about Culiacán or the decision to free uh, Ovidio Guzmán. He then changed his mind and and, and proceeded to defend his position, his decision. When a reporter asked him a couple of hard, legitimate questions, López Obrador forcefully attacked the reporter. He then went to meet with some kids who sang a song in, in his honors in the mountains of Oaxaca. He was delighted. He clapped and clapped. He was very happy. Listen, it sounds like I'm making fun of him, but I'm not. This is exactly what happened. So you tell me if this sounds like a man who's in charge.
0: I mean, you've met AMLO. You've moderated debates with AMLO. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this response, about what's going through his head?
1: Well, he, he, he's a very stubborn man who has a very clear idea of what he wants to do. And the use of force is just not part of it. López Obrador thinks that he can convince criminals to to stand down through through persuasion, rather than enforcement of the rule of law, and he has taken this to extremes. For example, he has asked criminals to to think of their dear old mothers, and their grandmothers when committing a crime. Will this work? Well, I can't think of one place where this has worked. But here's hoping, Mary. I mean, <laughs> here's hoping. I think it's it's delusional, and 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 absurd, and very dangerous.
0: It's shocking. He sounds like he thinks he's a hypnotist or something. He well, he has a, he has the heart and soul of a
1: preacher, of a religious leader, of a messianic religious leader, and that's what comes across.
0: You say that Lopez Obrador doesn't like using force, but as an American, I, I see him using force at the border. He's not afraid to send troops down there with guns to keep people out. At America's direction.
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, Yeah, he has shown a reluctance, a very strange reluctance to use force against criminal organizations and to refer to criminals as criminals. He always presents criminals as people to be redeemed rather than people who should be persecuted through the rule of law. That's a very peculiar aspect of López Obrador's personality. He has shown a strange compassion to criminals. He has not shown that same compassion, quite the contrary actually, when it comes to migrants and potential refugees. The way that the National Guard has treated central american immigrants and immigrants from other parts of latin america in southern mexico the way they treat them in northern mexico where they're sent after the united states has kicked them out through the remaining mexico program really makes my blood boil uh, to be to be very honest so yes there's that that strange dynamic on top of other Strange dynamics. Why does López Obrador show this compassion to criminals and cannot show the same compassion to immigrants?
0: Yeah, the issue is, like, the compassion, it's not necessarily bad. (laughs) Like, I, I can see having compassion for people. But when those people are organized in such a way that they're wresting control away from the country, that seems problematic and worth fighting about.
1: I believe in the rule of law. The other categories, the moral, religious categories, when you are the head of of a state and you are dealing with this sort of situation, I think are secondary. They they, they should not be discarded, of course, but they're secondary. I believe in the rule of law. And I think it's problematic that Lopez Obrador apparently doesn't.
0: When Leon saw the videos coming out of Culiacan last week, there was one more thing that stood out to him, the kinds of weapons the cartel was carrying.
1: They were using 50 caliber rifles, 50 caliber Barrett rifles, for example. Uh, wh- where do you think they, they get these guns? Where do you think they, they got those sniper rifles? Each one of them costs thousands of dollars. I mean, you want to know how the cartel became so powerful? The answer is simple. They got so powerful in the United States, where they purchased these weapons of war that are built to hunt human beings, these weapons that terrorize Mexico. This is an army made in America. And we have to to be very clear about that, because the violence in Mexico cannot be explained without American guns, because this is, again, an army built in America bought in America, made in America.
0: Leon Krause, thank you so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure always.
0: Leon Krause is a journalist at Univision. He also has got a column at The Washington Post. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Jason DeLeon, Mary Wilson, Mara Silvers, and Danielle Hewitt. I'm Mary Harris. I will catch you right back here tomorrow.